comes to dancing. But, buddy, I get out there and give it all I got. That's all I got to say. Uh, but thank you, guys. Uh, another thing, uh, until we get past centuries, um, we're going to be postponing our Monday night prayer meetings. And, and then we're going to also be revamping it and asking God how we can redo those Monday night prayer meetings. Um, because centuries takes up so much time. And guys, if you are supposed to be here today, I wasn't able to make it yesterday for rehearsal, but I will be here today. And I heard several of you did not show up yesterday. So like can nobody saying a word. They're just, I'm not looking left or right. I'm just staring straight ahead, Pastor Kelly. Uh, but it is, I'm going to tell you, if you've never seen here, been part of, it is our biggest outreach event we do every year. We pack this place out for four services straight, and uh, I'm talking standing room only, and it, it is something we're super proud of. Uh, I guarantee you, if you've never seen it, it's the story of Jesus told in a way you have never seen before. Guarantee it. Um, Wednesday night, how many was here this past Wednesday night? We kicked off a new series, Dangerous Prayers. Man, wasn't it good? What, what, I, I tell you, and, and I, I'm going to encourage you, come out, because God is not, does not just move and show up on Sundays. He's there Wednesdays, man, and we had a powerful time, and, and God ministered, and then uh, uh, Bobby then went down there, and then uh, afterwards, Pastor Ben said, man, it was just awesome tonight. I didn't get to preach, and I was like, God, do that today. No, God, no. <laughs> It was, but it was good. Don't miss it. Men, the Stronger Men's Conference coming up this Saturday. Um, We we will meet here. I think the conference starts at 9. I'll look at it. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm speaking at it and don't know. Uh, But I'll be there. But also the keynote speaker that day is a guy by the name of Gary Christian. Uh, If you heard the name, you may remember in 2007, his daughter's car was carjacked. She was tortured, raped, and murdered. He walked away from God angry because he said, I pray. He said, I would pray every day, God protect my kids. And he said, when that happened, I was like, God, you can't even do that. And then 10 years later, he ran from God. And he says he remembers going to her grave site. And he said, I prayed. I said, God, do what you did for Peter and restore me. And, uh, he, and then he, he, in one of his interviews, he, he said this. He said, there's not a dark enough, black enough, cold enough hole for you to crawl in that our Lord cannot restore you. I am living, breathing, real life proof that God will never forsake you for anything. So I'm going to tell you, sign up. Sign up. Uh, if you will sign up today, let us know you want to go. That $20 includes breakfast, lunch, and any materials for that day. It'll start, starts at 9, and we're out of there by around 2 o'clock. So we'll have, it's going to be a great day. Well, are you ready for week two of our series, Marriage Stories? Come on. I'm convinced God let, let us have that move of God because it's about to get little to no amens at all in here. It's going to be a tough one. Uh, uh, and, and listen, if, I said this last week. If you're not married or engaged, don't think you can't get anything out of this series. Because last week we saw God moved in the altar service. And I believe also this can save you some, some heartache and money and just some misery. 
Amen? Because uh, there's only one thing that works. See, you got these people. My dad used to say this. He said, I would have people come to me counseling and say, Pastor, if I could just get married, if I could just get married and God would answer that prayer, I'd be great. He said, then I'd counsel someone else. Pastor, if I could just get rid of my spouse, I'd be just like... So uh, I'm going to tell you, it reminds me there was this couple that was celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. The wife looked over and noticed her husband was being very quiet, sitting in the rocking chair, and saw so he silently began to weep. And she thought, oh, how sweet. She said, babe, you know, why are you crying? Are you thinking about our wedding day? She said, I am. I, I, I'm thinking about the day we got married. You know, I, I wasn't going to go through it, through with it. And your dad, who was sheriff in the town, brought in a shotgun and said, Son, if you don't go in there and marry my daughter, you'll spend the next 50 years of your life in prison. And he said, I just think today would have been my release date. <laughs> so, come on now. Come on, Big Jim. You like that. That's good. Hey, listen, ladies, I need you to be brutally honest with yourself. How many of you would admit to say that uh, you struggle, maybe even just a little bit, with having to have things your way? A little bit of control freak. Come on. Get them up. Get them up. You know, some honest women. Some honest women. And then some of you are just lying, but that's all right. That's all right. Well, uh, men, how many of you would say this? You got to be honest. At work, or if you're out with the guys or a hobby, you're aggressive, you're very outgoing, but when it comes to being at home, you may be a little passive. Come on, man. Yeah. And, and see, some of your ladies that say they weren't control freaks are trying to put your arm up right now. <laughs> see? I, I knew it. Uh, so in week, week two of this series, I want to look at a couple uh, that if you think your marriage is bad, you will leave here with some hope. And we're, <laughs> you're going to say, well, at least it's not that. Uh, but uh, we're going to look at a, a king and a queen in the Bible and a marriage in the Bible. Uh, it is King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Oh, did you hear the grumbles? Oh, man. Yeah, the grumbles are going to get worse. Uh, but it's found in 1 Kings chapter 21. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And I, if you don't, I'm going to put it up on the screen. But, but before we dive in, a little backstory: King Ahab, he was the seventh king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He ruled for about 20 years from 875 to 855 B.C. He was a very strong political and military leader. And the problem is, when he became uh, to reign as king, the children of God had moved far away from God. Morally, they had moved away from God from what they knew was right. They, they, they had gotten to where they were worshiping idols and false gods. And King Ahab steps in. Here's the sad thing. King Ahab had the potential to turn the kingdom around and bring them back to God if he'd wanted to. But it ends up, he ends up meeting and marrying a woman by the name of Jezebel. Uh, the meaning of her name should have been a clue right off the bat. Her name literally means, where is Baal, the false god? 
Ahab marries her, and most scholars, even secular scholars, secular ones say that Jezebel was responsible for persuading Ahab to abandon his one true God and set up and establish the worship of Baal in Israel. In fact, here's what the Bible says about King Ahab's reign. Check this out. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did, get this, under the influence of his wife Jezebel. So this couple, Ahab and Jezebel, they represent two things and two big problems in marriages still today. They represent, Ahab represents the passive husband, if you're taking notes. Very aggressive, maybe very outgoing at work or when it comes to his hobbies or sports, but very passive in the home. And uh, Jezebel represents the controlling wife. How controlling? Let me show you. Uh, King Ahab, and they, they had this neighbor, Naboth, who had a vineyard. Uh, that was very convenient, close to the palace. Ahab saw the vineyard, said, I want that vineyard. I want to make a vegetable garden uh, out of it. So he goes to Naboth to, to start negotiations for the land. That's where we pick up the story, 1 Kings 21, verse 2. One day Ahab said to Naboth, since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I would like to buy it to use it as a vegetable garden. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I will pay you for it. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. He said no. So look at Ahab's reaction. So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. Here's basically what happened here in this situation. Ahab is the kid. Like, remember going out to the, the ball court, you're playing basketball. One kid brings the ball. He doesn't get, to get his way. Somebody makes his mask. So I'm going to take my ball and go home. So nobody else can have fun. If I'm not having fun, if I'm not winning, nobody's winning. And that's basically what Ahab did. He, he, but is it me or is he just a terrible negotiator? He lays one offer out there. The guy says no, and he goes home and cries. No, who knows? Maybe if he said, oh, I see you're playing hardball. Let's sweeten the deal a little bit. What else can I give you? Who knows if Naboth would have said, oh, okay, now we're talking. Now, we don't know because what is he? He takes his ball. He goes home. And can we be honest, men? A lot of us are like that also. If we don't feel like we can be good at something or successful or something, or if we don't think we can win, we'd just rather not play at all. Come on. Let's be honest, men. Uh, let's, let's relate that to marriage. Ladies, listen to me. Whenever a man feels like he will never measure up, uh, uh, that uh, he'll never be what she wants, he'll never be her dad, he'll never be this or be that. Listen, here's men. Here's men. We are so simple. If we don't feel like we can win the game, what's the point of even playing? Men, come on. Come be honest. If, if I go into this game knowing I'm going to get demolished and lose, I, why even play? Why even play? And that's us men. If we do not feel like we can win, we'll take our ball and go home, crawl in bed, suck, and cry. <laughs> Very passive men. 
Now let's look at the women. You love that. Now let's talk about the controlling wife. So just say, oh me or amen. Either one will work. Look at verse 5. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her. And this is what I think he sounded like. He called us in the name of the Jezreelite. Sell me your vineyard. Or if you prefer, I'll give you another one in his place. But he said, I won't give you my vineyard. <laughs> Ahab and his little baby whiny butt voice. <laughs> Come on. I want what he has and he won't give it to me. Now look how Jezebel responds. She says, is this how you act as king over Israel? Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. She said, is, really? This is how you're going to act? You're king? You, you big whiner. You can't do anything right. Get, get out of my way. Let somebody who knows how to get things done get things done. Ladies, I'm going to tell you something you probably already know. Most men won't admit this, but I'm just going to tell you it's true. There are certain areas in our life where we can be very insecure about. And, and usually the more, the stronger we portray ourselves in those areas outwardly, the more insecure we are about those areas. And, and we feel weak. You, I mean, this goes all the way back to Genesis with Adam and Eve. Think about it. God is creating. God is going on a creation binge. Hey, son, create the sun. Hey, he got, oh, son, that's good. I created. Oh, he looked at the moon. Oh, it's good. He looked at the ocean. Oh, it's good. The mountain is good. He's going through all these things good, going through. And then he looks at one thing and says it's not good. Anybody know what it is? It's not, not man, man. <laughs> Man, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. You ever wonder what Adam must have been doing? I mean, God's going to say, good, 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 good. What the heck are you? It is not good for man to be alone. I'm not sure what he's doing, but it's not good. I mean, think about it. So, so what does God do? God introduces man to woman. He puts man asleep. Man wakes up and he goes, whoa, man, that looks good. And, and that's where we get the Hebrew word woman. I'm, that's not where we get it anyway. But he gives him a woman. You know, and, and, and he's beautiful. She's outgoing. She's fun. And get this. God says she will be a helper to him. Some translations say helpmate. Now, there may be some women that get offended or insulted by that. Say, I, I'm more than a helper. I'm more than a helpmate. And here, let me be, listen. If that term is insulting or offensive, and it's because I don't think you really understand what a huge, important role that is for you as a wife for that man. Here, here's the thing. Don't, don't shut me out, ladies. A godly woman will help a weak man become stronger. A controlling woman will make a weak man weaker. 
And that's exactly what Jezebel did to her husband. He's weak. She did it by doing two things that still happen today. The first thing she did and we, women will do is belittle him with your words. Remember what she said to him when he came back? Is this how a king acts? Are you serious, Ahab? Uh, you, you, you can't take care of one simple task. You can't do anything right. I wish you were this. I, you're not doing what you need to. This is what you say. Listen, what you say about your husband is either building them up or tearing them down. And so often he is becoming what you speak over him. If you tell him he's no good, he's lazy, he's worth good for nothing, don't be surprised when that's how he winds up. And I'll even go a step further, men and women. What you speak over your kids is vital. Is vital. Proverbs 18.20 says that, that, that the power of life and death are in your words. You hold them in your words. And your words have the power of life and death. And sadly, what happens, a controlling wife will tear her husband down over and over with belittling and critical words. You have the power of life and death. Let me, I'm going to take a moment to give credit to my wife. Uh, she makes this weak man stronger. Uh, I am my worst critic. When it comes to preaching, when it comes to pastoring, whether it's singing, whether it's a project I'm working on, whether it's being a dad, whether it's being a father, I, I am my worst critic. And I, I'm going to tell you, there are times even recently when she speaks strength and life into me. I, I mean, e even this past week. I spoke at, uh, had the privilege of speaking at Lenore City High School to about 90 honor students. And, and I don't know if you're used to, like Pastor Ben said, speaking to teenagers. It's like, are they, are, hello, are you getting this? <laughs> knock, knock, you know. And, and I, was, I was feeling like, oh, man, I hope it was good. I think, I mean, man, I was on. I think I was funny as ever. But no, they barely laughed. I'm, I'm just like, and it spoke. And on the way home, you know, I don't know where it is. Babe, I'm so proud of you. You, you killed it. Said you, man. You spoke what needed to be spoken to this generation. And man, I, I saw them. Well, watch how they they came up to you. Man, you you just nailed it. You know what she was doing? She's making this weak man stronger. I'm telling you, ladies. Yeah, absolutely. In counseling, one of the things I encourage married couples to do or those dating or engaged, hey, lead them, you, you man, lead your wife, lead your fiance, lead them in prayer, lead them in devotion, be that man. And I, they'll say, I don't even know where to, where to start, pastor. I don't know how to pray over my wife. Let me tell you this. When, when I say pray over your wife, I'm not talking about you going a 10, 20, 30 minute prayer over them because be honest. They're going to probably go, good Lord, how long is this man going to pray? <laughs> but one or two, one or two sentences. When, when they begin to do that, ladies, ladies, if your husband leads you in prayer, and if you want him to do it more, and you want him to get better at it, the worst thing you can do is act like it wasn't enough. The best thing you can do is thank him. And, and now, don't do this. Babe, thank you for trying. I appreciate it. 
real sweet of you for trying. No, you thank him and say, babe, thank you for praying for over me, over our family. It means a lot to me and that you would get outside the box and do what, something that's very uncomfortable to you. That means the world to me. And then when you get done doing that, ladies, you lay a long, wet, sloppy kiss on that man for 20, 30 minutes. And if it goes from there, it goes from there. Uh, but <laughs> Why? Why? Because men were simple. What is, re what is rewarded gets repeated. <laughs> I'll be like, the last time I prayed, woo <laughs> I'm getting the anointing oil out this week, whoa. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, I wouldn't tell the 9 a.m. that y'all are a lot funner crowd than they were. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to tell you, uh, it, when you do that, you make that weak man strong. Do that consistently and see what happens. See what happens. A godly woman can make a weak man stronger, but a controlling woman can make a weak man weaker. Now, I, ladies, I don't want to say on this too much, but here's what I want you to know and understand. Um, no man has ever come out of a griping and complaining session where you have just rode him and rode him and rode him. No man has ever come out of that session a better man. No man has come out and said, I am so glad she just tore into me. I am a sorry, no good, something, something. Thank you, baby, for clarifying that. No, no man has ever come out of that. Make it, maybe he's not the leader you want him to be. Maybe he still does, does whatever it is that gets on your ner nerves. I get that. But what I'm saying is he will never come out of constant complaining a better man, even if what you're saying is 100% true. Every man is wanting to amen, but they are so scared to right now. <laughs> Ladies, you play an important role in who your man is becoming. So don't belittle, belittle him with your words. The second thing that Jezebel does, if you want to make a weak man weaker, is this. Step in and take over. That's what she did. She just stepped in and took over. You can't do anything, right? I'll get it done. I'm not, not going to wait on you to do it. I'm just going to do it. You want to make a weak man weaker, step in and take over. Denise and I drove to, um, uh, to uh, Nashville yesterday, got up early yesterday morning, uh, with our grandbaby Juno, went over to meet Josh in April and celebrate our granddaughter Eliana's 13th birthday. Met them over at Monell's, uh, where I did sin by eating way, way too much. If you've never been to Monell's, uh, and, and went over there and met them. You know, on the drive over there, I was driving, which meant I had to pay attention to the road. Had to pay attention to what was in front of me, behind me, to the left, to the right. Uh, it was my job to get us to where we were going. Denise was just a passenger. So she could sit in the back seat with Juno, play with Juno if she wanted, read a book if she wanted, if she wanted to scroll through uh, social media, if she wanted whatever. She didn't have to pay attention to what was going on. Why? Because she was a passenger. 
I, I was in the driver's seat. Somebody else was driving. Ladies, if you are always in the driver's seat, if you always have to be in control, you will eventually condition that man that all he has to do in that relationship is just chill out in the passenger seat. I told you it's going to get rough, but I like to drive. Let me be honest here, though, for a moment. I do understand that there are times, ladies, that that guy, that man, doesn't do anything. He doesn't provide. He doesn't want to make any financial or decisions. He doesn't want to help discipline with the kids or make any decisions there. And there are times that if the woman doesn't do it, it just doesn't get done. I will give you that. And I'm not trying to say that. But what I'm saying is if you are constantly stepping into his God-given position and you do it continuously over and over again, he will eventually just let you take, up the, take the will and give up the calling that God has put on his life. And the very thing you said you wanted the most, you've taken away from him. Man, I hope you hear my heart. Here, let's be honest. It doesn't start with the big things. It starts with these little small things. Now, so just bear with me, ladies. Bear with me. But like the husband, he's going to do you a favor. He's going to dress the kids for school. Dress the kids for church. He's up there. He's got them dressed. He didn't dress them like you would dress them. He didn't fix their hair like you would fix them. They may not match. He, they come down, that, they come, down come into the room. Y'all ready to go to school? What are you wearing? <laughs> Let's go back in here in this room and change this. If that is your response, I guarantee you, you're, it won't take much. and Your husband will never try to help you in that area again. Amen. You do this, uh, your husband will try to help you vacuum. But he's not going in the right lines or the right direction. No, you do it. Come on, or dishwasher. Cups don't go there. <laughs> Cups go over here. I don't know why I'm talking like this. But <laughs> that's the accent I went into. Um, folding. Who folds tiles like that? They don't line up just right. Those are little things. <laughs> oh, God just convicted somebody over here. Listen, those are little things, but I'm telling you what happens. You have, a, you have a choice. You can either cut him down for the way he tried, or you can give him props. Now, I understand there are times when you need to step in. And, but you don't, babe, that, that was a great try. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't dress. It looks like RuPaul dressed them. It just... I'm telling you, he's probably, you, you do that, and those are probably the last time he vacuums or does that. And, and I, hear, I hear some lady say this. Oh, man, this is going to be a tough one. My husband won't discipline my kids. He won't discipline their children. Could it be because the last 10 to 15 times he disciplined them, they turned around and ran to you, and you countered everything your husband just did? Boy, they're looking angry at me now. <laughs> Come on. 
I, I know there are a lot of ladies that you're not controlling by nature. You're driven. Let me, let me say, there's nothing wrong with being driven. That's how God wired you. That's how God created you. But So well, what do you do if you are with a really passive guy? And I know it's never simple as, as easy as one, two, three. Because, uh, but, but one of the things I, I think you have to do in that situation is recognize, hey, maybe I am a little bit of a control freak. Maybe I could lighten up in some areas. And the second thing you can do is you, you, you love him, you pray for him, and you love him false and all without taking control. Because if you always take control, he will eventually just settle for the passenger seat. And then you pray, and you pray, and you pray some more. And then you get out of the way and let God work. Come on, man, we're bad about this too, but since we're talking about the ladies, we pray, we pray. Maybe God just want me to step in and help him. And maybe a lot of times I feel like we step in when God's about to do something. God's like, oh, come on. You've been praying, now just step back and let me work. Let me work. I'm telling you guys, if you will do that, just pray, ladies, pray for him and let God work, do his work. It, it may be tough for a year. It may be tough for years, and I acknowledge that. But you pray, and you give it to, to the only one who can really do a work in your heart's husband. Heart's husband. Husband's heart. <laughs> now, let's stop, because I realize over half the women in here are saying in their head, I am never coming back until the series is over. <laughs> and you've probably called me several things in your head. But let's deal with the men for a minute. Men, maybe the reason Jezebel took control is because her husband hadn't done anything in a very long time. Maybe she took control because he wasn't leading at home at all. Are you hearing me? And listen, I need you to hear me very clearly, men. You have the God-given responsibility to lead your wife and family. I'm going to say it again. In case you didn't hear me, men, you have the God-given responsibility to lead your wife and to lead your family. You, you. The Bible is very clear on this. It's not a power thing. It's not a positional thing. It's a God plan for the family thing. Men, you are hardwired to lead. You are. Just like you don't have to tell a tiger, go out and hunt something and eat. It just does it. Men, we are hardwired to lead. It, it, let, let, let's keep this simple because men, we are simple. But I want to give you three ways men are called to lead in marriage and family. First one is this. God calls men, not me. I mean, I'm a man, but it's supposed to say men. God calls men to be her provider. Now, that, let me be clear here. I, I want to hear this doesn't mean the wife stays home barefoot and pregnant. Come on, South. That's not what it means. It, <laughs> you better stay with that woman as long as she'll have you because you will never get another one. Here's the thing. Uh, hey, 
that woman, if, if, if she wants to get out and work, absolutely. Absolutely. She wants to be a significant contributor to the finance. Absolutely. It doesn't mean, it also doesn't mean this. Well, I handle the money because I'm the man. I'll never forget. Denise and I did counseling with this couple years, years ago. And uh, they, they were in horrible shape financially, not because they weren't making money, because they were making stupid decisions with their money. And he handled the money. And so I brought up and said, why don't you allow her to handle the money? I'm the man. I handle the money in relationships. The man handles money in relationships. I said, you know, Denise and I have been married for about 20 years. Ever since we've been married, she's handled the money. Does that make me not a man? And he just looked at me. I said, because here's my opinion. When you're leading, when you're a good leader, you know who does a better job than you at different things. And you allow them to do those things that you know are better than you. My wife is much better at handling money. In fact, if I was to sign a paycheck at this point, they would think it's forgery because I've not signed my own name on a paycheck and I couldn't tell you when. So don't, we, don't get that attitude because that is not what I'm saying at, at, at all. What I'm saying is, men, you set the tone. Husbands, you set the tone. You lead the way and you help her become alive knowing that she is provided for and that there is stability in your home. You know what a, when we do count, you know what a woman's number one need in a relationship is? Stability. To know at the end of the day, she's still going to have a roof over her head. Know that her kids are going to still be provided for. Now, that, that is a woman's number one need when it, when it comes to that. And you lead as a husband and let her know, I'm going to make sure you know it's stable. Things are stable here. And men, you, you lead her also. You say, you know what? We're followers of God, so we're also going to be a tithing family. And we're going to honor God with what he's given us. And we're going to watch as God blesses when we honor him with that. The second way God calls men to lead is this. God calls men to be her protector. Now, now listen. I know some of y'all. Oh, pastor. I'm protector. In fact, there are nights. I pray somebody breaks into our house. Oh, I just want to use old Smokey. I, I just want to use him. Listen, men, listen. That's, yeah, absolutely pr protect. But there are more than one ways we are called to protect our wives and our children. You protect her emotions. You protect her heart. Come on. You, pr you protect those children that she gave you. You protect the influences in their lives. You protect them from friends that they don't need to be having around. Come on now. Yeah, you protect that other way, but you also protect that heart, that emotion. You protect. I'm telling you, we have an obligation to stand as men of God in prayer and faith and protect our family in a broken world. Amen. The third way God calls us men to lead, and this is going to be the toughest one yet, because I think men will agree. Absolutely, man, I'm supposed to provide. Absolutely, I'm supposed to protect. But this third one, when you hear it, you're going to say, no, no, come on. God calls men to be your pastor. 
And I'm not talking, this doesn't mean that you are a theologian. It doesn't mean that you're having two or three hour Bible studies through the book of Lamentations. Good Lord, no. That's a tough book to read right there. It doesn't mean that you're coming up with three points. Well, babe, here's what we need to do, and I've got three points. Here's the notes for you. No, very few men can do that and are prepared to do that. Here's what I mean by you are the pastor. And this is not in your notes, but you may want to write down. It means you set the spiritual tone and direction for your family. You do. If you've been part of the church too long at all, not too long, but long at all, you know this is a fact. And every church in and I've been a part of, you know the weakest ministry in the church? The men's. Women thrive, women are worshipers, women are studied, and men, we just passively take a back seat. It's time for that to change, man. It's time for that to change. You are to set the spiritual tone and direction your family. What, what, what does that look like, Kelly? It could be as simple as this. You showing them that it's a priority that, hey, as a family, we are going to be active in church. We're not just going to show up whenever it's convenient for us. We're not just as long as, no, we're going to be active. It means if you've got a, a teenager, you're going to have them involved with 412 uh, student ministry. It means if you've got kids, you're going to get them involved with WB Kids. What happens when you do that? Here's what happens. What you do is you partner with the student pastors, the children's pastor, with us in helping raise your kids to make them fully devoted followers of Jesus. It could be as simple as that. It could be as simple as you setting the tone. It could be as simple as, hey, they know whenever you sit down for a meal that everybody doesn't go in their different directions. Even if it's frozen pizza, we're going to come down, sit around the table, and we're going to join hands and pray over this food. Set the tone, man. Set the tone. Kelly, man, I, I've never done that before. Or at least consistently. I believe you can do it. I come on, man. I believe. In, in fact, in the words of the great philosopher Rob Schneider from Waterboy, you can do it. You can do it. In all seriousness, here's what I want you to do, ladies. You sit by your man. I want you to look at him right now. Look at him. Now I want you to grab both cheeks. For some of you, this is the most you've been touched in decades. Oh, I'm sorry. Did that come out? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to be a flower on Gene's wall when he goes home? <laughs> Look at him and say, babe, you can do it. You can do it. Come on, let's do it. You can do it. Barbie, tutor you grab that man and tell him he can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You want your man to step up? spiritually in the lead, set the tone, you encourage them. You tell them, you, babe, I believe in you. You can do it. That's where it starts. Here's what some of you men need to do. And I'm being dead serious. Some of you, whether it's tonight, whether it's today, you go home and lay in bed, you need to say, babe, I need to apologize. I'm going to confess I have not been the spiritual leader of this house I'm supposed to be. 
And I want to apologize for that. And I'm sorry that I've been content with just being a passenger and letting you drive. I'm sorry that I haven't led and set the spiritual tone and direction for our marriage and for our family. I ask that you would forgive me and that you would help me become the man that God is calling me to be. Ladies, you do that. Men, you do that. And listen, ladies, 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 ladies. I understand there may be some doubt. Like, yeah, I've heard this before. Or maybe she's just gotten used and kind of likes being in the driver's seat. So what do you do? Men, you keep being consistent. You keep showing up. You keep seeking God. You keep being, setting the spiritual tone in that house. You keep delivering. And let me tell you this, guys. If there is any ounce of Christ in her at all, and you stay consistent in leading her, she will respond to your leadership. I don't know how, but she will. Once she says, this guy's serious. She will respond well to that leadership. Men, listen to me. Your role as husband, is not just to make a lot of money, provide a car, provide a nice house. That's not your full role. And if you, if you think that is, you're insulting God with a call on your life. You've got a higher call than that. Men, your role is not to raise the next Super Bowl star. Your role is not to make sure uh, that, that they get on whatever team they want to, travel team. That's not your role. Great if that's possible. But your role as a man, your role as a husband, as a father, is to pour into those kids to where they fall in love with God and they serve God with every fiber of their being. That is your primary role. That is your primary role. Men. It's time to step up and step in and be the husbands and the men God's called us to be. Ladies, when you see them trying, believe in them. Encourage them. I'm telling you, we, we men respond to that more than you know. When my wife says, baby, you did a great job. I don't care if it's me over me cooking a bowl of soup or doing a project in the yard. When she says, you did a great job, man, something inside of me goes, that's right, I did. <laughs> that Campbell's soup is good stuff. Huh? <laughs> Let's finish this out. And I'm going to give you the short version of the story. Jezebel's in control. She tells her husband, I'll go get the vineyard that you couldn't get. She comes up with this horrible plan. She tells one of her servants, says, go get Naboth, bring him to this party, and then I want you to pay off a couple of criminals to, to say that they overheard Naboth cursing God and cursing the king. And then when you say that, then I want you to take him out and stone him to death. Yeah. Who comes up with a plan? Jezebel. Who's responsible for, Je for a Naboth's murder? That's interesting, and here's why. Look at the rest of the story, verse 15. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up, went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. 
Go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard where he is going to take possession of it. Look here. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man who seized his property? Have you not murdered a man who seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Who had Naboth murdered? But who did God hold responsible? The husband. Men, realize how important your role is. How important your role is as father, as husband, as man. I'm telling you, this lady here has stood by me for 29 plus years. She has stood by me through some of the worst of times and through some of the best times. And I can honestly say that she has made this weak man stronger. I, I could not, nor would I want to stand up and try to pastor this church or do anything without her by my side because she has believed in me and cheered me on even though it seems like the dumbest decisions in the world at times. When I took, came to her and I said, babe, I feel like God is calling us to go back home and pastor. And she said, he may be calling you, but he ain't calling me. You know what I could have done? By golly, I'm a man. You're going to do what I say we're going to do. You're going to submit, woman. I'd have never touched that woman again. I could have done that. You know what I did? God convicted me. And I said, baby, you know what? You're right. God's been dealing with me about this for a year. It's wrong of me to come in here and spit this up on you in 10 or 15 minutes and expect you to be okay with it. When you're ready to talk about it, you let me know, and I'm just going to pray. Can I tell you, I watched, because of how I responded to that, I meant I watched her response, and she said, okay, God, I don't want this. What are you saying, though? And men... It's a lot easier for your wife to follow you when she sees you submitting to God. Are you hearing me? It's a lot easier. I'm telling you, this woman has not only fought alongside of me, but she has fought for me. And I want to thank her publicly for loving me, faults and all. And I've got a lot of them. I'll be the first to acknowledge that. And ladies, my prayer for you is that you would do the same for your husband. That you would love him, faults and all. That you would make that weak man stronger. That you would find ways to encourage him. And men, I pray that you would begin to step up and step in and lead as provider, lead as protector, and lead as pastor in your home. I, you know, one of the things, my, my kids, all three of them, are incredible worshipers. And I'm convinced it's not because they watched their mom worship, although she worships. I'm convinced 
every time dad was in the house, they saw me worshiping. Despite what was going on at home, what was despite, what, despite what was going on inside of me and he turmoil, they said, I saw dad doesn't let that keep him from worship. I'm telling you, husbands, men, let your kids, let your grandkids see you worship. Let them see you love God more than you love yourself. Let them see you love God and worship God more than you do any sports team, any hobby. Let them see you passionately pursue God more than anything else. Listen, I love, yeah, yeah. I love my hobbies. I do. I love Tennessee Vols. I am a fan, good or bad. I love them. I love riding my motorcycle. I love getting, to me, that's my therapy. Getting out there where I can't hear anything but the motors, the, the engine roar. I love it. But my kids know my priority. God is my first and she is my second. God's my first. Stand with me across this room. 